Hi, and welcome to this week's Realty Talk Show. Cast your mind back to this time last year. You might recall the sobering predictions about potential doom and gloom ahead for 2023. It was peddled by self-proclaimed experts and picked up as clickbait and used in various sensational media exclusives. Well, they got it wrong. Most of them did anyway. With residential property in Australia defying those dire predictions to enjoy solid growth in many parts of the country. However, there was one voice that didn't cry wolf. It was Pete Wargent. And he returns this week with Bushy to outline what he sees ahead for 2024. Now, before we join Bushy and Pete, let me welcome you if this is your first time with us. You can find us on all podcast players and through the Southern Cross Oz Stereo Network. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button. Help us to continue to bring you the best guests every week. You can join the conversation anytime as well on Facebook at the Property Hub Collective. We'll be back in just a moment as Bushy kicks off this week's show. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote. Realty Talk from Property Hub on all podcast players. Okay, let's jump in as Bushy is joined by international property buyer, finance and real estate expert and investor, and one of Australia's most highly respected financial housing market analysts, Pete Wargent, with his view on the property market for 2024. Kick things off, how do you feel property performed against your expectations last year and what, if anything, varied and why? A lot of the, the sort of normal trends have been thrown completely out of kilter for the last, well, I guess it's been four years really now uh, since the, uh, the onset of the pandemic and all the uh, policy changes and lockdowns and everything that just um, threw the seasonality of the market and the economy into disarray. Um, as you said, things are normalising a bit now. Um, but if you went back a year ago, well, we were into the period of monetary policy tightening. So interest rates were starting to go up. I think um, market pricing at the time looked very alarming, didn't it? We had interest rates effectively priced to go from 0% to about 4% for the cash rate target. And in yep. the end, we actually overshot that a little bit. And um, yeah, I think um, the, the market feeling at the time was very apprehensive and i think um well i'm generally an optimist and the fundamentals for aussie property tend to be very strong over the long run yeah i think the market has overall performed better than i would have expected given the trajectory of interest rates and i think when you look at the reasons for that well yeah most people have decided to hold on to their properties rather than sell um, stock levels have been very low and it's been kind of cause and effect really a lot of people don't want to sell because they're, they're concerned about not finding uh, something to buy uh, particularly for upgraders and um, yeah a lot of the other fundamentals population growth has been record highs as it's rebounded um, building approvals are a decade low so the rental market is very very tight 
yeah. uh, rental vacancy rates as low as we've ever seen now under one percent yeah um so yeah look i think overall against expectations from a year ago the market has been stronger than i would have thought and why well it's really just a shortage of housing and a shortage of properties for sale yeah very good call and uh, so sort of turning to this year then uh, what's your overall view about how property is going to perform at the national regional and the sector level this year mate well the, the year has kicked off in a very buoyant way um you know, we, as you said, we work as property buyers. We're absolutely at full capacity. We can't take any any more clients to buy in southeast Queensland at the moment. We're so busy. And I've spoken to buyers agents in Perth, which is booming. Um, I've spoken to buyers agents in Melbourne who were enjoying a nice Christmas break and watching the cricket and everything. And they're absolutely flat out again as the new year's kicked off. So sentiment is clearly stronger than it was even three months ago. And I think that's really just been driven by a general feeling that we've reached the peak of the interest rate cycle. We're very close to it now. And market pricing for interest rates looking a year, two years, three years out is for interest rates to fall. So I think for that reason, activity is going to be buoyant. Um, a lot of those same fundamentals still apply. We've still got housing supply struggling to keep up. The rental market is still not a nice place to be. And um, just one trend that we've been seeing is parents deciding to help their kids into the housing market because the rental market is very competitive. Rents have been going up generally. Um, so to summarise it, at the national level, I think we'll see a positive year for property. Um, I think the strongest markets, well, Perth is absolutely flying. Um, so I think Western Australia will probably lead the way. But yeah, I mean, there's still, still very tight markets in Perth, uh, Perth Brisbane, Adelaide. Um, Sydney and Melbourne probably a little bit less so, but still on the way up. Um, and yes, yeah, some of the regional markets have been a bit cooler. Uh, generally, some of the coastal markets, which um, which really boomed through the pandemic when there was that race for space. Well, yeah, some of those markets really got overheated and yeah. maybe just coming off a bit, but by no means crashing. I mean, uh, I'm coastally based myself in, in Queensland and um, yeah, the market's still holding up much better than you might have thought. So yeah, overall pretty positive, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think people are seeing uh, that things are on the up in in most directions. Uh, that borrowing capacity is going to improve. Uh, rates are likely to come back later in the later part of this year. Uh, so the smart investors are starting to see the opportunity to get in before the the crowd jumps in. Uh, and, and you know, with the shortage of supply, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how the listings level goes this year, given it's been very restrained, particularly over the last 12 months. So I'll be keen to see what that does. But uh, from your perspective, Pete, what, what are the key drivers and influences that you think we need to be uh, watching out for that are likely to influence uh, property movements in certain areas this year? Yeah, on the supply side, the the, the listings is a key point. Um, the figures are out for January and uh, you know, the, the December and January is not a great time to gauge this stuff, I guess, because you know, a lot of people are on break and so on. But I think if you just rewind to a decade ago, uh, listings were about 50% higher. Um, so, um, yes, you know, some markets like Hobart have eased off a bit and Canberra and Darwin. But if you just take it at the national level, there's very few properties for sale still. Um, and um, in particular, in some of the, the other capital cities, in particular in Brisbane, um, Adelaide is still very tight. Uh, Perth is extremely tight. So 
this thing's on the supply side is probably the big one. Um, I think of all the fundamentals that feed into property, I think the, the main thing this year will just be sentiment driven because you do have this thing in Aussie property um, when there's uh, slower periods, you get this kind of pent up demand. And we've seen that building over the past two or three months. A lot of people just sitting on the sidelines, a bit concerned. Investors have been on the sidelines pretty much all year, if you look at the stats. Um, yep in 2023 and i think people are just looking for that green light to make a decision um but as the sentiment turns then that's probably uh that's when you see prices move quickly because um demand can change a lot more quickly than supply can generally so um when you get those inflection points that's when you get a boom in prices we've seen it in perth just over the past year or so and probably some other markets are heading in that direction as well so yeah there's lots of Sort of things that feed into that sentiment as you said the underlying fundamentals but i think that's going to be the main one um and if we start seeing around the middle of the year talk about interest rates um, heading down well that will only sort of add some fuel to the fire i guess yeah i agree yeah what about on the sort of macro global economic front mate uh, any thoughts on you know the us election or uh, conflict in the middle east or uh, other activity that that may have a a flow-on impact on on property locally. Yeah, so the as you know, I take a lot of interest in the global um, outlook and the global macro economy. I spent some time in Europe, as I usually do, over the Christmas period. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see things like fuel prices have come way down from the highs. Um, retail prices are no longer going up. I think um, I think a lot of people have probably not for the first time, been surprised by the strength and resilience of the US economy. Um, yeah. You know, we spent all those years wondering whether interest rates could go from zero to one and what would happen. And you know, the funds rate's gone from zero to five and higher, and the economy is just still powering along. Uh, I think it's a slightly different model in Australia because most of us have variable rate mortgages or at least short-term fixed rate mortgages. So interest rate changes have a quicker impact on the economy. The flow through is much faster. Um, yeah. So we'll probably see interest rates peak at a lower level in Australia. Um, but yeah, I think generally the, the outlook is more upbeat globally. I think um, inflation in most countries, if you look at the US and Canada, and the UK, Eurozone, New Zealand, massive amounts of progress being made there. Um, if you look at the risk areas, well, the main one is just geopolitical conflicts. Um, Got the oil price down at around $80 today, but I guess that's the main risk. If there's a big flare up in ongoing conflicts, particularly in the Middle East and maybe some other parts of the world, well, if we saw the oil price really spike, you know, like a $150 or $200, that's the risk, you know, that's that's what could reignite inflation. Or if um, if there's major disruptions to shipping. Um, at the moment, markets are pretty benign and they don't really see too much risk of an ongoing issue there but that if i was to look for you know what's the curveball or something from left field it would probably be something like conflict successful property investment is a game of finance do you have the right team and the right game plan realty talk is brought to you by know-how property more than mortgage brokers bushy martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs tax risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth know-how has helped over 1900 homeowners and investors secure more than 800 million dollars in property wealth so get set 
to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Realty Talk exclusive to The Property Hub. Let's get back to Bushy Martin and Pete Wargent as they look ahead at the prospect for property investment this year and in particular tax reform, stage three tax cuts, potential negative gearing changes, the rental crisis and mainstream media sentiment. Now, I was sort of interested in uh, seeing the recent machinations in relation to the modifications to the uh, stage three uh, tax cuts uh, and the hullabaloo that was made around that with you know accusations of breaking election promises and all the rest of it. But uh, I don't know about you, but my, my thinking is for those particularly on higher incomes who aren't going to enjoy the sort of tax breaks that they were anticipating, it may actually nudge some of them back into property as a, as a way of actually uh, uh, managing some of their, their tax uh, and, and cause a, an increase in, in demand in that area. So what are your thoughts around that, if anything? Yeah, I know how much you love the police, uh, Boshe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting back and forth on that one. Accusations of backflips and broken promises. I think if you look at it, um, well, you, you're more across the, the mortgage market than I am in terms of borrowing capacities. But I think for particularly for two-income households um, up to sort of $150,000 per annum, there'll be some some sort of welcome boost to borrowing capacities. I think the people who are most annoyed are at the top end. Yeah. Uh, the higher income earners at the 45% marginal rate because they're expecting a tax cut of around $9,000. It will be about half of that. So yeah. we'll get some boost to their borrowing capacity, but not as much as they were uh, looking for. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, what's the old phrase? Happiness is expectations exceeded. Well, it's kind of the other way around, isn't it? So I, I think you're right. You know, what, what will people do? Australia uh, is a relatively high taxing company uh, country for in personal income tax, 45% plus the Medicare levy. And people will look for ways uh, to find tax shelters. So family trusts um, and particularly negatively geared property are two of the ways in which you can reduce that personal income tax rate. So um, if you think about people like um, healthcare, um, professionals and people in the trades who are earning and paying 45% tax, they'll probably look at property as a way um, to sort of reduce that income tax exposure um, in the light of probably expecting a better tax cut than they actually got uh, effective from July. Yeah, agree. Yeah, as you just touched on, uh, there's been some rumblings in the media about uh, potential relooks at negative gearing. Uh, which I'd be very surprised at, uh, given Labor's had a, a thumping and lost a couple of elections uh, uh, pretty much on the, the head of that back in the 2010s, and I think it's in, in 17 and 19. Uh, what's what's your read of whether that's likely to get a, a Guernsey, uh, given the massive housing shortage we've got and the fact that private investors are really shouldering the burden of, of uh, residential housing provision in that regard? Well, yeah, there's a few different things there. Firstly, the public housing, uh, the public sector is not delivering any housing. Um, you know, I keep seeing these stories about, um, like in Melbourne, four tower blocks have to be removed because they're substandard and rebuilt. So although we're building some housing, it's often just replacing what's already there in the in terms of social and public housing. So yeah. um, there's nothing really coming from the government. Um, 
in some cases, in Queensland, I think the government has decided it's actually easier to buy existing properties rather than build them, um, just because of where costs have gone. So we've seen, in some cases, hotels being repurposed for the homeless and things like that. So the government is not really adding to the dwelling stock now. Um, so the, the rental market is entirely shouldered uh, by private landlords. Um, so I think the absolute last thing the market needs when you've got a national rental vacancy rate of under 1%, it's the lowest it's ever been. Yeah. I don't think it's the time to be starting making noises about clamping down on property investors. Uh, I mean, who alone knows? I mean, rents have already been um, pumping. I mean, just to take, uh, let's take Sydney as, a, as an example. You yeah. went back to the pandemic, $650 a week to rent a house. Uh, or it's actually closer to 600 at the lows. It's over $1,000 a week now. Um, so yeah. in the space of three or four years, an enormous increase in asking rents. Um, similar story in Melbourne, Brisbane and around the country. I don't think it will be very popular um, politically or in terms of the housing market to start clamping down on negative gearing. There, now, there will be some looking at um, where uh, some tax can be raised, of course, because that's um, the progressive side of politics. I think family trusts might get a look in. Yeah. Capital gains tax discount, maybe. Um, but at the moment, anyway, it's not really clear. Uh, but I think negative gearing, there would be uh, political suicide to go down that route again. Yeah, 100%. I, I think uh, a smart politician, if there are any out there, is going to realise that given the 1.2 million target by, I think it's 2029, of additional housing provision, they're probably actually going to have to increase incentives to the private sector uh, to enable uh, that that to occur, uh, particularly given you know the ongoing immigration. While that's likely to tamp down, and again, I'd like your thoughts around the immigration and population impact, uh, particularly over the next couple of years. But uh, I, I think a, a smart government is going to recognise that they they need to be treating uh, private investors as their friends, not their foes, uh, if they're going to get anywhere near to overcoming the the rental crisis and the uh, uh, the housing shortages that we're seeing, particularly given the construction sector, can, continues to be challenged and it's not really likely to come out of the woods for a good couple of years yet, I would have thought. Um, no. So the original housing target was uh, was one million dwellings in five years. And as the housing shortage um, worsened, um, the, the announcement was just changed to 1.2 million. No, no sort of additional detail around that. We're just going to announce more housing. Um, uh, yeah, I think, um, well, if you look at building approvals for 2023, 160,000, it was the lowest in, what, 11 years, 12 years, uh, very, very low, decade lows. Um, and one in four new homes is a knockdown rebuild. The HIA is just um, sort of clarified Placement. in a media release. So a lot yeah. of that is only really replacing existing housing. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah uh, where's the extra housing going to come from? I, I think if you look to the previous cycle, which is the only time we've ever built anything like um, 200,000 plus dwellings a year was in the previous um, apartment construction boom. Well, that was largely driven by investors from China, if you think yeah. back. Um, yep. This time around, we've more or less taxed foreign buyers out of the market. Um, you touched on there the other problem, and we've got developer insolvencies at decade highs. There's another major construction giant went down this week yep. in Sydney. Um, so a lot of people would be rightly pretty twitchy about buying an off-the-plan apartment, um, which is not going to help the supply. So 
I don't know what the, the answer is. I mean, really, the only cure for this is higher prices. Developers aren't going to be building at today's prices. Um, yeah. So I think you'll probably see unit prices rise quite significantly before you get a supply response. I mean, if you look at um, Brisbane, we had a dozen years where unit prices didn't really move much. Well, now they're booming. And I think um, that's what will eventually bring the next cycle. I think there's a risk here in that if you try and build... 1.2 million dwellings in five years um you might get the quantity but whether or not we get the quality is a whole other question and we've already seen some high profile stories about um construction defects so yeah caveat emptor and um yeah the, the supply issue is going to persist for at least the next three years i guess now, i think the other issue that's allied to this is it's not just about the number it's about the appropriateness of the properties to suit the right demographics. And uh, some of the concerns I have, and again, interested in your thoughts, but the build to rent exercise uh, isn't going to be the savior that uh, a lot of state and federal government supporters are thinking it is, because I think it's it's more targeted from what I can see at the, the upper levels. Uh, it's certainly not going to satisfy the, uh, you know, the average rental uh, scenario. So, well, I think there's some real challenges there around not only the the number of uh, and the amount of housing that's provided, but the appropriateness of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one, Pete? Well, yeah, I do have some first-hand experience of this because, as you know, I spent a lot of time in London where built-to-rent is far more advanced. And there's some parts of London, if you uh, think back to the FA Cup final back in the day, as people used to walk down the Wembley Way to the stadium, well, Boroughs like Wembley would be a good example. It's built to rent everywhere now. And um, what has it done for the market? Well, um, yes, you're right. Rents are actually higher. Uh, you know, the built to rent properties are built by developers who are profit focused. Um, so it's not an affordable housing solution in most cases. Um, often, I think it's, it's proven to be very difficult to repurpose existing buildings. So stuff is having to be built from scratch is pretty expensive. Um, it's been done at quite substantial volume actually in London, but yeah, experience has been very mixed. You know, some people say it's been okay, other people feel like they're just a number in a system, and you know, you're not dealing with a landlord in the, in the traditional way. You're sort of becoming a part of a, a cog in a bigger machine. So I think we'll see, particularly in Melbourne, I think is um, likely to be uh, the main sort of market where we'll see build to rent, and there has been capital raised there, but. Yeah, I think um, yeah, this stuff has got to stack up and make a profit. And if you're not going to get capital growth really on a build-to-rent investment, so it all has to come from the rent. Um, so we, we do have some build-to-rent in Australia, but generally the rents are probably about 25% higher than what you'd pay on a normal rental. So it's look, it's a part of the housing solution, but um, as you say, is it really appropriate for a big part of the market? Probably not. Hi, just before we go back to the show, uh, I want to spend a few seconds and tell you about a book that was sent to me that's now become my go-to reference when I'm looking for inspiration about property investment. You know, sometimes it's not about knowing all the answers. It's certainly more important to know what questions to ask. This book by Rasti uh, is called The Property Wealth Blueprint. And it's one that you don't read just once and then put it away. It stays out as a reference. It's a book that you go back to time and time again, as I do, because it's packed with personal experience and with great examples of how to get property investment right. 
Uh, it's very frank, it's to the point. And as you can see here, uh, I've needed to bookmark several points. And I can tell you that it's a constant companion on my desk here. The remarkable thing is that it's absolutely free on Rasty's website, getrare.com.au. Get Rare, it's a gateway to a richer life. The website there for you again, getrare.com.au. So get this book, get it for yourself. This is Realty Talk, powered by realty.com.au. And we rejoin Bushy and Pete as they detail some of the important fundamentals we should keep in an eye on this year. What are some of the important areas and sectors and, and price points that uh, we need to keep an eye on in the year ahead, Pete? Yeah, I was just thinking there when you said that, I was thinking back, um, I think maybe 25 years ago, I sat in a Kevin Young seminar and he said you know what happened to the price of bananas when there weren't enough bananas you know the he was talking to a queensland audience so you know so speaking language you can understand and that's right we've got a massive shortage of housing we've got population growth uh last year was running at nearly six hundred and fifty thousand, uh not building anything like enough housing so that that does point to a positive time for property over the next few years um interest rates are going to come down so you need to manage your debt carefully. But generally, yeah, if you join it all together, the fundamentals are very, very strong. And you can see that shift in sentiment. Um, in terms of markets that are popular, um, well, let's go around the traps. We're mainly buying in Brisbane. Um, we've seen a lot of people, first-time buyers, looking at units. You know, units haven't been particularly popular in Brisbane in recent times because of an overbuild around 2015-16. But unit prices are moving. Is that a, is that a purchase is that a purchase price power issue? They just can't afford afford to buy anything else given the limits of borrowing capacity, or are there other things. Absolutely, yeah. I think you're right. Interest rates going from uh, the cash rate target going from zero to four point three five percent has pushed people down the price points, and um, yeah, I think um, particularly a lot of first time buyers are finding it hard to be a renter, so people are looking for an entry level property. They still want to be close to the city and close to the action. Yep. Um, I think um, in New South Wales, um, we're doing quite a bit around Newcastle and Central Coast and those kind of areas. Um, yep. I think uh, Sydney is its usual expensive and challenging self, but uh, nothing really changes there. Um, some of the markets have come off a bit. I guess um, uh, you know, Canberra, Hobart and Darwin have kind of cool, but I mean, you've got to see this in the context that they've They've come from some very, you know, very strong performance in recent years. So it's not entirely unexpected. And the same probably applies to some of the regional markets as well. But yeah, I mean, um, overall, uh, the fundamentals are pretty strong. And um, yeah, if you if you're an investor, really start with your start with your purchasing power and your borrowing capacity, and that that will probably inform the decision as to where you look in the country and you know what kind of property you go for. Right, and I think that's actually driving. Uh, growth in certain areas and regions and property types, actually, uh, to some degree, because people look at it, well, this is what I can do. Where am I going to be able to get that? Uh, I love your thoughts. So, you know, there's been this debate and uh, everyone's got a different opinion on the, the regional versus the city-centric approach and the, the changes uh, that are occurring in that regard. But what's your read on the flow uh, between regional and city and uh, what, if anything, is likely to change in that regard over the next 12 months? 
Yes, yeah, so if you go back to 2020 and 2021, it's not even up for debate. The, the flow is all regional. Uh, there's um, there was a big shift. I mean, it, it made rational sense. You know, the friends who are living in tower blocks and they couldn't even use the lift due to restrictions. And uh, you know, if you're in a tower block and you can't use an elevator, what are you going to do? You're going to get out and find some somewhere with more space. And a lot of people took the opportunity to go regional, especially southeast Queensland, New South Wales coast, but actually all around the country, really. Um, so th this, the flow is definitely all in that direction. Um, now we've got the borders open again. New migrants tend to go to Sydney and Melbourne yeah. uh, in that order, and then to some degree, Brisbane and Perth. Um, so that flow, that inflow has started again. I think internally, people are still moving um, uh, to Western Australia, to Southeast Queensland, and um, yeah, places like Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast have been very popular up our way, even Toowoomba to some degree. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think um, we've been for something of a hybrid model now. I think um, people are generally not going back into the office five days a week, um, but some people are in three or four days. Um, so look, there's this, you can make the case for either. I think it um, if you look at what the demographers would say, you'd probably favour those uh, peri-urban regional markets, i.e. the ones that are within a two-hour striking distance, really, of the capital cities. Um, they would probably be a good bet. Um, so if you look around the country, uh, places like Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong, those kind of markets where they're regional but close to the capital. Um, yep. Sydney's got uh, Wollongong and some of the markets to the north that I already mentioned. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the, the affordability will really drive that um, because uh, markets like Sydney in particular, it's extremely expensive to get in as an investor and it's hard to make it all work, I suppose. Here's how Realty's discovery search works. Now, think of AI as an assistant on your real estate journey. How AI works is by using algorithms and data the words that you use to describe the type of property you want. By entering what you want, the AI learns and makes predictions or decisions and then shows you the results. So rather than searching by suburb and then property type, and land size and so on, simply type in or say what you want. The more you use Realty's AI discovery search, the more accurate it becomes. Unlock bonus content now as a premium subscriber. And in closing, Bushy now asks Pete to focus on a few specific areas he thinks will have potential for growth this year. Hear what Pete has to say about Adelaide and in Queensland, Townsville and Rockhampton. A couple of areas I wouldn't mind just diving into. I mean, Adelaide... And given I spent a lot of time in Adelaide, uh, mm. it's had a bit of a bull run in the last couple of years. I can't help but sense it must be getting pretty close to the end of that run. It's probably likely to flatten out. Uh, so interested in your thoughts on that one. But also in, in you know, further north in Queensland, uh, there's been a lot of talk around Townsville and Rockhampton uh, uh, in recent times. Uh, wouldn't mind your reads of, of those three areas, if you don't mind. Yeah, so um, Adelaide's... Um... I often say it's my dad's favourite city in the world, because but he only ever sees it during the ashes, of course, so he does get a slightly skewed view uh, once every four years. So I don't spend as much time down there because of that. I usually go down every few years or so. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the market has been extremely tight. Um, while some of the other markets have gone in for building high-rise, Adelaide has largely stayed a low-rise city, but it's made it difficult to deliver 
the supply that people have wanted and needed. And even as we speak here today, the rental vacancy rate in Adelaide is about 0.4%. It's extremely tight. I mean, it's off the lows, but yeah. um, I think you're right there. I mean, generally, um, you know, when you see markets have a really strong three years, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they would eventually uh, reach a, an affordability uh, barrier or, or a plateau. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to argue with the the uh, the shortage of housing because that's that's ongoing and Adelaide doesn't really go in for the the medium or higher density stock in the same way. Um, so yeah, you're probably better place than me to to judge on that one. I think if you look at markets like Townsville, that's been quite popular with retirees, especially from Sydney. I think um, a lot of people um, they see a part of their pension of selling their place in Sydney and moving up to a, a much cheaper market and somewhere that's warmer. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a bit of a tailwind for some of those regional Queensland markets as well. I was up in Cairns, actually, just before Christmas and uh, very buoyant up there as well, um, becoming much more popular. I mean, when I first used to go to Cairns as a young backpacker, it was largely driven by tourism and retirees. But it's it's really starting to uh, get a bit of an economy in its own right now. So, yeah, there's some... Uh, some decent prospects there. As usual, you need to be a bit careful about where and what you buy in those markets. Um, got to think in Queensland about things like um, climate and flood risk and all of those sorts of things, and also the types of property that people really want, uh, because there's certainly a real mixed bag in some of those regional markets. Yeah, totally agree. I, the one thing that's sort of uh, pricked my ears up in recent times is a number of insurers now who are backing away uh, from any extreme weather locations mm. and that includes uh, some of the areas in uh, far north Queensland uh, and, and other areas around the country. So I think uh, obviously they're looking ahead at potentially what the uh, climate change impact is being and the risk, uh, the insurance risk that's associated with that. That's so certainly I think if you're an investor or, or a homeowner for that matter, yeah, you need to have a good chat to your potential insurer before you sink dollars into a location to make sure that you're not going to be left high and dry or drowned and wet uh, if the, the worst thing should happen. So, uh, but I, I found it quite interesting that the insurers are starting to take that that action. Have you heard much about that? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because when you look at those, if you look at the inflation figures, um, where is inflation still sticking around? Yeah, tobacco, excise, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, rents, new dwellings, but actually insurance has been one of the most punchy parts of the inflation story. Yep. Plenty of examples of people saying premiums got 30%. Um, so, yes, yeah, services, inflation and insurance is really where it's at at the moment. I think if you look further ahead, I mean, the Reserve Bank has done papers on this. Um, you know, what percentage of properties could be a risk of climate-related impacts from fire and flood? Uh, you know, this is the sort of thing that, you know, people are, it sort of lights up the switchboards and people say, why are you pushing this, you know? Uh, climate angle and stuff like that. It's not about what I think or what you think. It's more actually about uh, what insurers think. Because um, if, uh, and you know this as well as anyone, but she, like you've got to be well covered on your property portfolio. If your insurance premium goes up, it's not just a problem for you. It's a problem for the next person you go to sell onto. Yep. And um, if properties become uninsurable, or if the insurance premiums are very high, which we've found in Brisbane at various times, some yeah. of those uh, flood risk areas, well, then you've got a problem because it impacts on your capital growth, um, it impacts on your resale value. Um, so even if there isn't a flood, just the fact that the insurers won't touch it or the insurers are putting a high premium on the property. So 
it's not just about you know what do you think about the climate it's about what other people think and the perception and so definitely take into account things like flood risk because um yeah it could become an issue for insurance for sure Totally agree. Well, uh, I, I always feel like we uh, talk for hours, Pete, on our favourite subject, but uh, sort of bring it to a uh, put a bow around the exercise. Any uh, final summary thoughts on the year ahead? Yeah, I think overall it's pretty positive. Um, I think obviously interest rates are a bit higher than they were, higher than we got used to. So don't borrow more than you can afford to comfortably repay. But um, yeah, if I was a, an investor this year, I'd definitely be looking to um, make a, an astute investment, um, you know, try to, you know, focus on properties with a decent land to asset ratio, you know, look at what's in demand for the area you're buying in, try and take a longer term focus if you can. And, um, you know, most of the um, sort of enterprising investors, they try to buy something with good capital growth potential, but if it's got some future value add potential as well, and you would definitely be thinking along those lines as an architect. You know, if you've got something that you can maybe add value to in the future, um, all the better because it gives you a different direction you could take your investment in. What I love about property is that the the base fundamentals actually never change. It's just the icing on the cake that scares people and the, and the media likes to talk about. So uh, as always, uh, you know, I really want to thank you for taking the time to share these uh, quite timeless insights with us, Pete. Uh, and uh, joining us on the show. Uh, and for, for those that are listening, uh, as you've just heard, when it comes to long-term investing, Pete's rundown is really further evidence of the need to ignore the short-term media noise and on uncertain things that may not even happen and instead focus your property and investment energy on the fundamentals that don't change because this is what separates sustainably successful investors from the rest. And to keep the conversation going on what's in store for 24 in property, join us and follow and join us and fellow investors, uh, Eddie the Frenchman, on the Property Hub Collective Facebook community by clicking the link in the show notes or just jumping on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Property Hub Collective, where you can post any or all of your questions and get them answered by credible fellow investors and proven industry professionals in a safe environment where you're never going to be sold to. Thanks for all that and. Uh, Let's keep the conversation going, Pete. Pleasure. Thanks, Bushy. It's always great to talk property with you and look forward to a good year ahead. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Big thanks to Pete Wargent and Bushy Martin for a great show. Hey, make sure you don't miss a single episode of Realty Talk or Bushy's Get Invested podcast delivered to you each week. And you can do that by subscribing to the Property Hub now on your favourite podcast player, or wherever you are listening to or watching this show. Also join the conversation anytime on Facebook at the Property Hub Collective. Thanks to our supporters and content partners, realty.com.au, BMT, tax depreciation, know-how property finance, get rare property and Apira marketing. I'm Kevin Turner, on behalf of Bushy and the Property Hub team, we look forward to seeing you again next week.